Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, gang. Welcome to the hash. You're watching it here on Coindesk TV. You might be listening to it on the Coindesk Podcast Network or wherever you get your fine podcasts. I'm Zach Seward. We got Jensen Assey. We got Will Foxley. We're here to get you up to speed on what's going on in crypto. It's a Monday. Let's get to this thing, starting with... Will. Can $100,000 and six developers fix the Luna Terra ecosystem? That's the question we have in front of us. And that has to tell you that these developers call themselves the Six Samurai with the names of Bilbo Baggins and Saul Snake amongst them. I think I would answer no. The odds are incredibly against you in fixing this whole project. Just to go back in time a little bit, not too long ago, just a little bit over a year, Terra collapsed in one of the biggest wipeouts in cryptocurrency history. After that collapse, there was some efforts to fork the chain and continue to develop the chain itself. A lot of developers sort of stuck in the past trying to build this thing up. If you look at the price of Terra Luna, it's down from $120 high. Sam was trading well below in the sub, sub, sub pennies. Not a lot going on there. But these six developers think that they can probably fix the ecosystem and they need about $100,000 over the next three months to get that going. Zach, we've seen a lot of comeback stories in crypto. This one's probably a long shot of a long shot. Are you on the side of the Samurai 6? I mean, if anyone can do it, it's Bilbo Baggins. Am I right? I mean, he's going to be able to just like, just knock this out. And I'm, I'm hopeful that they can do it. They're trying to accomplish something that doesn't really often get executed, right? Like Ethereum Classic still persists, but it attracts far, far, far less developer activity and usage than Ethereum, which forked off and did its own thing after the DAO hack. Think of 2016. So there are some comeback stories in crypto. Very often are they associated with these sort of classic uh, approaches to what existed in the past. And I think the odds are stacked against them, right? Terra, arguably, like even without the, uh, you know, the death spiral of Luna and UST, like Terra, Terra at the time, like had a pretty vibrant ecosystem, right? It had critical mass, largely because of the anchor protocol where people were already getting this unsustainable in some cases, unreal yield on some of their assets through that protocol. It had the critical mass. It had some cool usage. Like it was fun to play with. There was like a burgeoning 
like NFT scene and all the other things that happen on chain when these networks reach a certain size. But clearly all that was just decimated, blown away, blown to shreds in the wake of uh, the collapse itself. So comebacks are possible in crypto. Reviving old brands in crypto is quite hard. So I would say like, maybe just do another Cosmos SDK chain and start fresh. Sure, there's some value to the assets that you have, but it's gonna be really difficult to, I think, attract, again, another vibrant community that can get that critical mass where cool stuff happens, where that network effect kicks in. And I think that's probably the toughest thing that they face rather than some of the technical challenges that they document in this governance proposal, which is a quite interesting document and quite interesting statement in terms of what they're seeking to build. But I think like, again, getting that network effect and getting that critical mass can be quite difficult for some of these projects that are looking to sort of revive these zombie brands. But hey, who knows? They might be able to do it. Jen, what do you think? I am also hopeful that they're able to do it. Um, I love the developers' names. Like you said, Zach, I think that the the brand piece is going to be the biggest hurdle to overcome, but I think it can be done. We've seen it done in crypto before. I mean, a fan favorite project on on the hash, Pudgy Penguins overcame some um, shady leadership, new leadership came in, the project is thriving. I know we can't really compare these two projects, but I think that that is one case where the brand was able to persist with new leadership, new developers, and and the community was able to continue thriving. I think that where they may hit another roadblock is with regulation. So they want to revive uh, the UST stablecoin. I think they're calling it... I'm not sure if they're calling it UST still or if they're calling it USTC. But I think that once the regulators hear about that, once that comes to fruition, I know it's going to be like a totally different model. They're going to look to fix some of the things that went wrong with UST. I think that the regulators may perk up and say, you know, this failed in the past. Billions of dollars were lost and this cannot happen again. And so I think that that's going to be the biggest roadblock. I think the brand can make it. And I just, I'm cheering these developers on uh, and hoping that they can, they can bring something to life. I think that their hearts are in the right place. That's an interesting take. I mean, at what point is it grifting when you're, you know, you're working on a debt project and you're asking for you know, 100 something thousand dollars over a three month period? I think if you're working in, you know, an empty town or a dead town like this, you're asking for a lot of money, you shouldn't get paid for it. So I, I sort of hope that these sort of things actually kind of strike off and people quit on them. I think the history of blockchains is that once there's a huge catastrophic failure and people don't rally around it immediately, then it's gone. You don't really see things burgeon after that. So Bitcoin's had a history of, you know, some things have gone wrong. There have been like hard forks in the past, like way back in Bitcoin's history, there's been like bugs in it. But people have rallied around it because it had that network effect and because they responded to it well. Terra, on the other hand, I mean, if you look at the chart, it's just absolutely brutal. So I don't think there's a comeback from it. This has been over a year since this whole development. And I think it's just people who know that, you know, there's a little money be made here and they can get some money out of like a dead project and try to do it. We've seen it with a lot of other projects. So that is my take $100,000 for six people isn't that much money, though. I feel like this is like a passion for them. For three, wanna... months, for three months of work. Yeah. So it's not like six crazy engineers. amounts of money, Jen. But it's also like, what's the point of this, right? What's, what's, yeah. what's the ambition here? I don't know. I don't start know. fresh. They should just start fresh. Honestly, they should just start, start fresh, do what they can do. But hey, the dream will never die of the decentralized stablecoin. The algorithmic stablecoin dream will never die. And USTC will be the next attempt, it seems. Let's change gears. Let's go to like, let's talk about some other stuff, guys. Yes. Let's talk about Bitcoin ETFs. 
Now, there's a wave of Bitcoin ETF applications in the last couple of weeks that brought a lot of excitement into the sector itself. BlackRock is probably the most notable of these. These are the coveted spot Bitcoin ETFs. We have the Bitcoin futures ETFs in the US, but these are different instruments. And now a bank report from Bernstein says the US has room for compliant crypto ETF products to grow in market share. They take a look at Grayscale, which full disclosure is affiliated by way of a shared parent company with Coindesk, Digital Currency Group. And Grayscale has really been the dominant product. It's not the best product. It's not the most efficient product. And the fees are pretty onerous on a lot of users. So a Bitcoin ETF would really change the dynamic there. And this report digs into that quite a bit. I'm going to toss this straight to Jen. Let's talk about the Bitcoin ETF thing. There's been a ton of momentum around that. Sort of this surprise institutional interest lingering in the US despite this crazy crackdown that we've seen from the SEC. What do you think about what Bernstein is saying here? Well, I think Bernstein is saying what I would expect Bernstein to say. I wonder if BlackRock has some information, some inside information that would have pushed them to file at this time. It seems weird that they would file, especially with their custodian being Coinbase. Coinbase has just been sued by the SEC. And so I hope that there is some information because the industry is kind of rallying around this ETF. That said, it feels like a blast from the past that we're talking about ETFs again. And I just want to note that Canada has had a Bitcoin spot ETF for quite some time now. And so I think that when it actually does happen, it's going to be, you know, another step on the road to to boring, a whole lot of nothing. There is definitely a market here for it. But I, I think that everyone's just hopeful for this ETF because it's a regulatory signal that some progress is being made in the US, right? I think the industry is, has gotten so used to in the US of like taking one step forward and then one or two steps backwards and like making an application and then something working out and then this lawsuit coming out of nowhere. And so I think an ETF is going to be good. I think Bernstein is saying this, but it's more of a regulatory signal for me than anything else. And I think another good point to mention, it was brought up by our markets guest on First Mover this morning, is this ETF, if it gets approved, it's not going to happen tomorrow. There is some time for this to happen. And I think our guest said that it would be around 200 days at her estimate. So it's not something that is likely to happen you know, within weeks or months, but I love to see the industry rallying around it. Well, what do you think? We could have an ETF launch right into a happening which should bring us right into a bull run. That would be, that would be pretty glorious. And uh, also that's just a recession. Yeah, there has so. been a lot of recession talk. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what's going on? Yeah, to me, the thing that speaks about this is like the investor side stuff, right? There's a fee on top of the GPTC. So if you purchase this asset, well, there's a management fee and it's like a 2% or something like that. It adds up to about $380 million per year for Grayscale, which is a lot of capital. That's basically how they've been able to build their whole business empire, right? They, they got to the spot first. They built this trust. Everyone purchases it because they think that Bitcoin's going to go up and they want some exposure to it in a traditional product. They don't just want to hold Bitcoin. They want a, a TradFi product that has Bitcoin inside of it. And then Grayscale can just milk the fee. And the fee is substantially higher than any sort of ETF product out there. And that's sort of the moat that Grayscale has had for a while. That's not saying that Grayscale doesn't want this to turn into an ETF. That's been a longstanding ambition for them. And they've filed to have this turn into an ETF time and time again. But for now, they sort of are enjoying being the only person on the block that's selling the drug, right? And so like, if they can keep doing that, will they keep earning fees, they keep all their products alive and keep growing the business. I think if something else comes in here, they're going to see not only Grayscale try to convert this to an ETF, but you're also going to see that fee percentage drop quite a bit. That being said, it might be offset by the volume, right? So if more people 
think that Bitcoin is validated because there's an ETF of it, you might see this Grayscale product grow in the future. Doubt it's like the same, not really trust at that point, but you'll see the volumes grow. And so maybe it offsets it. But I think the fee is a thing to watch here. Zach? Yeah, big picture wise, this is all about getting into the retirement accounts of Americans everywhere, right? Easy peasy brokerage access to a Bitcoin vehicle that's a bit more easy to understand than the Bitcoin futures ETF product, which is a bit more complicated. There's all these like ETF watchers from Bloomberg and elsewhere who kind of like really dig into the weeds of this. And I heard some comments from one of them going back to what Jen said about the timing of this whole thing, which is really interesting, right? Like all of a sudden BlackRock filed, I think there was like three others that filed in pretty short order. So I think there's a lot of speculation that maybe the Bitcoin ETF on the spot side is where Gary Gensler gives a little bit, right? He says, hey, we're cracking down on some of these other aspects of the crypto ecosystem. But with these really known, well-known players who know how to work sort of the regulatory apparatus in the United States, maybe he'll give a little bit when it comes to the spot Bitcoin ETF that the industry has been clamoring for all along. Now, if the BlackRock one gets approved, I think there's interesting legal ramifications for the ongoing fight between Grayscale and the SEC. Remember, the Grayscale, I think, sued the SEC over the denial for them to turn the trust product into an ETF product. So I think my understanding is that once one gets approved, subsequent ones will, will then also be approved. And potentially, we're seeing this fleet of products enter the market, which I think would be good for consumers in the long run, because it will reduce, again, the fee that GBDC has commanded, which is like significantly higher than other ETFs in other asset classes. So hopefully there's some movement there. I think the timing thing that you brought up, Jen, is really the interesting thing. And there's been a lot of speculating and a lot of trying to like read through the tea leaves as to, in terms of like where Gensler is going to give and where he's going to stand strong as it relates to the whole crackdown thing. So if you have any intel on that, Jen, I mean, do share. What are, what are the experts saying about this? This weird timing. She's just going to well, show Canada again. That's all she's going to do. I'm just going to show Don't Canada do again. Don't do no it. one has come outright come and said that. Yes, definitely. BlackRock knows something. But I think, Zach, everyone has said the same thing that, that you have. It, is, it, is, it seems very coincidental that the largest asset management firm in the world would file at such a time, especially with Coinbase. And so everyone is watching with a close eye, but no one has let the secret out if, if anyone has secrets out there who I've spoken to. But I think that this is probably one of the more interesting ETF filings that we should watch. And I will say, I did see a conspiracy theory on Twitter, and it is completely a conspiracy theory that said, maybe BlackRock is going to help Coinbase get the registration that they need with the SEC. And there's going to be this like trifecta of ETF and regulation and everyone working together because BlackRock has that kind of pull. That is just something I saw on Twitter, and I have no information to back up if that is actually happening. But a good conspiracy theory. Well, thank you for that. BlackRock and Coinbase <laughs> indeed have been working together on this. I don't think Coinbase is mentioned by name in their uh, filing, in the BlackRock filing, but BlackRock and Coinbase have had a partnership for a good year or two now. Anyway. We are going off to Singapore, where the central bank is proposing new ways to design open, interoperable networks for tokenized digital assets. The initiative is called Project Guardian, and it has enlisted 11 institutions to test tokenization across financial assets. Who's participating in the pilot? Well, some big banking giants like HSBC, Standard Chartered, and Citi are all involved. Zach, gonna toss this one off to you. It seems like Singapore is making yet another move forward while we kind of remain stagnant here in the US. What do you think? Yeah. 
And the banks. Look at all those banks involved. They're all like, oh, man, the tokenization of everything. It's happening. RWAs. <laughs> let's do this thing. There's like operational efficiencies to settling things on blockchains. And I think a lot of the banking and enterprise conversations that emerged back in 2018 kind of didn't really go away, right? Like they've just been sort of simmering in the background and all these enterprise use cases, especially with banking and the tokenization of quote, real world assets is something that I think we're seeing a lot of sort of like interesting things pop up about all of a sudden. So yeah, certainly it's situated in Singapore, which is vying, I think, to be one of the big crypto capitals in Asia. And certainly it's with some banks, Standard Chartered, you mentioned others who've been toying around with this crypto stuff for a while. And if not directly the crypto stuff, then certainly the blockchain stuff that can make the settlement and transfer of funds quicker, more efficient, more transparent. So the idea that this is being worked with in uh, in consult with the Monetary, Monetary Authority of Singapore, um, suggests that there is momentum around these banking kind of, kind of consortiums that want to put blockchain to work in a context that works for them. Um, you know, I think we could kind of like celebrated, oh, the death of blo enterprise blockchain, like enterprise blockchain is finally dead. But in reality, it kind of like went under a rock and uh, certainly within these banking giants was sort of um, fostered and to grow into something that was useful. So we're seeing maybe some fruits of that come to bear. But again, I'm also sort of, you know, have a little bit of PTSD from seeing a lot of these early announcements that didn't really seem to materialize into much uh, over the last few years. So, yeah, this is, um, you know, um, somewhat exciting uh, that, again, the, to the tokenization of real wor world assets is being championed by big banking players. We'll see if it becomes a significant part of their technology stack or if it's just sort of a doodad that's out there um, that they, you know, also have uh, in their portfolio. That's obviously time will tell. But I'll toss it to Will. What do you think? Yeah, Chris Berninski, who's like a well-trod founder in the space, and VC had a tweet about this actually yesterday, which was completely different from the story. But same point was that like a lot of these enterprise blockchain use cases, they still exist. And his point in tweet was like, in 10 years, we're going to have these things. No one's even going to think different about them. Like they're going to be around. And oftentimes, like I think we just look at the headlines every day in the show and we're like, ah, it's bullish. It's bearish. We have a take on it. And then we just set aside till the next time the story pops up. But over the long run, there are people who are really interested in seeing if these things work and they're still working on them. Like I'm particularly a little bearish on them. I just don't think they make a lot of sense but that doesn't mean that somewhat different experiences isn't, isn't going to support them and i think a country like singapore or a country that is like a little more focused on like traditional means for uh, blockchain and crypto and tradfi to intertwine is it going to be super bullish on this right like this probably makes sense to them uh, i'm curious to see how this stuff with singapore works out like I, I feel like they've always been a bellwether for crypto in this space this whole article sort of talks about how it's like a little bit of a bearish take on crypto and the MAS has been a little bit bearish on crypto, but I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that actually. So we'll see what ends up happening there. I'll throw it back to Jen. Yeah. I just want to clarify at the top of the segment, I said it's been stagnant here in the US. I, I want to clarify this is being led by the central bank. And I think that's what the interesting part is here. Banks in the US have definitely been exploring technology like this. The article said that even though the central bank is no fan of the crypto ecosystem, it's committed to promoting the technologies of the industry to improve existing traditional financial systems. I think that's that's really interesting, right? They're not a fan of the crypto ecosystem, but they see the value in the technology. Last week, Will, when you weren't on the show, we spoke about another project that's being spearheaded by the central bank in Singapore, along with the IMF, Banca d'Italia, I believe also Bank of Korea, and they're looking at programmable money for business use cases like Amazon. And so 
I think these conversations are conversations that need to be had. And it will be really interesting to see how Singapore progresses and how other countries kind of watch them as a use case and, and maybe take different parts of these studies and implement them in their own jurisdictions. So I think, I think this is cool. Okay. Let's leave that there. Yeah. Let's go to Twitter land. You guys, you guys cool with that? We're on Twitter the rest of the day. So, you know, let's talk about it now. (laughs) So back in 2020, there was a huge hack on Twitter. A group of people, including a Florida teenager, hacked Twitter, hacked a bunch of big accounts, including Coindesk, former President Barack Obama, uh, President-elect Joe Biden. I don't think he was President-elect at the time, but presidential nominee Joe Biden at the time, a bunch of other people. And they did the classic ploy, send me one Bitcoin, and I will send you two back. They hacked all these accounts, which they could have made a lot of money. They ended up only making a few hundred thousand dollars. But that doesn't mean that the arm of the law wasn't going to come and slam down on them. And as of this morning, we have new information that a five-year sentence was passed for one of the people involved with this, uh, that being a British man named Joseph O'Connor. The prior Florida teenager is also involved with this. It's already been serving prison time. There's at least two or three other members of this whole group uh, that hacked Twitter by basically socially engineering Twitter, and then ran off with this whole scheme. This really brought Bitcoin into the limelight, I'd say. Back in 2020, we were sort of entering into a bull market phase, and all of a sudden, all these huge Twitter accounts were hacked and had the word Bitcoin on them. Uh, So it was, I think, a a pretty important moment in Bitcoin's history. It's wild to go back and look at this three or four years later. Zach, what's your take? Don't do crimes, people. Don't do crimes. Crimes (laughs) rarely pay, and this one certainly didn't. Crimes, bad. Don't hack people. Also, the social engineering stuff. I think that's really the most interesting thing to me from this whole story. They literally like called up Twitter employees and said, we're IT support. Can you like give us the secret code? And And it worked. Like There's all these sort of social engineering attack vectors that are very relevant to the Web2 hacking conversation, but absolutely hyper-relevant to the Web3 and crypto hacking conversation as well. We talk about the Lazarus group, right? The North Korean hackers who go so far as to like get hired into uh, organizations or pose as you know job seekers to take uh, interviews to get sensitive information. So all these sort of like social engineering hacks, you got to watch out for those. There's a lot of scary things. I remember doing a panel at ETH Denver this year where it was like only the paranoid survive. And it was all these like, uh, Web3 auditing firms and OPSEC people who were talking about sort of the social engineering attack surface area is always quite high and is something that I think is often under-discussed and under-appreciated relative to some of the more like technical ways that people can hack into and steal funds. So anyway, that one always stands out to me because at the time it was like, how did they do this? Like, was like the master key compromised? And like, no, it was just like social engineering uh, ways to get into these systems and use hacked accounts for what ultimately may have not been a very good scheme. But that's my thoughts. I don't know. Jen, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's it's important to continue talking about this story. Despite these people being caught and sentenced, there are still so many hacks and scams that prevail on Twitter. There are people being impersonated. And so I just, as always, when we do segments like this, just need to remind everyone, do not click on any links and don't send people money. You're not going to get more back. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Be extra vigilant. Even Will, you sent me a file the other day and I asked you what it was because I didn't know if you were hacked. And so just like even mm. your friends, be careful. If you don't know what they're sending you, be careful. And to that's be fair, I my... just don't think you knew what the file was. So that was a little different. It was different. named something strange. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. I remember at the time we all thought like Twitter was like mega nuked and that people could basically just like post whatever they wanted on Twitter. 
uh, in terms of like the, the people who had hacked this, there was concerns about like, maybe this could escalate and be like a national security issue, right? Like the fact that they had compromised government official accounts made people think that, you know, this could turn into something much more ugly than it ended up being. In this case, just like a run-of-the-mill crypto scheme that you see day in and day out on Twitter. So I'm glad that didn't happen. But it is like a wild Easter egg in Bitcoin's history, I think. And good to get some closure on it. Yeah. Zach. It's like a nice, it's like a nice deep cut in Bitcoin's history. I kind of want like the other like top five deep cuts from Will Foxley and like other <laughs> sort of uh, foundational moments in, mm. uh, in Bitcoin history that may be overlooked. Because I wouldn't put this up there in the echelon. But now that I think about it, like... Yeah, it was kind of a big moment where all of a sudden, again, in the in the long history of Bitcoin being associated with nefarious deeds, it was certainly like one of those one of those kind of more trivial ones, maybe. But one day, one day for another history corner. Anyway, crime don't pay. That's really all we got to say about this one, I think. Jen, you got any other last uh, last words, last insights? No, I will just remind you that if we ever had a crime ring, I'm going to be the first to tell all the information. So don't include what? me. I don't want to be involved in crime. Snitches get Yeah, snitches get Don't include me. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be part of it. Yeah. Hash crime crew. You're not invited. <laughs> will, let's talk. <laughs> all right. That's it for the show today. We're going to go scheme some stuff. Uh, I'm Zach. That is Will. Jen. That's it. We'll talk to you tomorrow, I guess. And thanks. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 